What's going on, guys? In today's podcast, I'm going to discuss a variety of topics. It can be some just NFL news, some stuff as uh, NFL news as it pertains to fantasy, and then just some strictly fantasy talk. So let's get into it. I am going to begin things with the very sad news that J.K. Dobbins towards ACL is out for the season. There are a lot of people that are saying like, man, you shouldn't have had him in there. It's preseason, blah, blah, blah. Look, you could say that about anyone. I mean, at the end of the day, J.K. Dobbins is a second-year player. I think that he would have he would have benefited had he not been injured from a preseason rep or two. You know, I don't think that was a bad move. I don't think that the Ravens organization did anything wrong. I think that, you know it's just you can always look at things and be that guy to look at things in hindsight. But the, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, look, the odds of it happening were very small. It just it did, unfortunately. So, what should the Ravens do? So they've already. I remember maybe a month or two ago, they brought in Todd Gurley as a potential guy that they were looking at anyways, even with a healthy J.K. Dobbins. So I would imagine he'd be in the conversation. I also remember a few years ago, right, when Le'Veon Bell was a free agent and he was this kind of, uh, everyone thought he was going to be this highly sought after free agent. And it ended up being so, at least from the New York Jets standpoint, he signed for less than he would have signed in Pittsburgh. But an interested team at that time, this is right when the Ravens signed Mark Ingram, was the Baltimore Ravens. They were rumored, at least, to have been interested, but they, you know, probably offered him somewhere in the range of nine or ten million dollars a year. So I'm guessing, but definitely less than I believe the thirteen he got from the Jets. But would Le'Veon Bell, would he fit well in Baltimore? And the more I think about it, the more I think it would be a really good fit. And the more I have been one of the more like critical analysts in terms of Le'Veon Bell. And this goes back to even that offseason when he signed with the Jets. I was telling everybody, do not draft him. Uh, you know, he's going like late one, early two, if I remember correctly. And I, I was not all in on Le'Veon Bell. What I'll tell you about this, if he signs with Baltimore for what I believe his ADP will be, which is not going to be anywhere near like first, second round. You know, it's probably not even going to be fifth or sixth round. It might be Chase Edmonds range, James Conner range, seventh, eighth round, somewhere sixth to eighth round, somewhere in there at the absolute earliest, I think. And that, and that's kind of where I would – I don't know if I'd feel comfortable taking him there. But look, I'll, I'm just going to say this. If they sign Le'Veon Bell, I think that would be a really good fit. I think you give Le'Veon Bell a whole new kind of um, – enthusiasm going against his former team, a team that he feels did him wrong in Pittsburgh twice a year. You know, I think that would be, that'd be pretty cool. I think it would be a, a good signing for the Ravens just because I think Le'Veon Bell would fit nicely there. They have a strong culture. It's not going to be, you know, sim- it's going to be similar to what happened in Kansas city. He's not going to be any problem at all in Baltimore. And I just think that, you know, he's probably uh, he'd probably be an effective player. And they also needed a running back, especially you know, considering J.K. Dobbins didn't catch a ton of passes last year, they've always needed the guy that can catch the football. Le'Veon Bell can come in there and two things he can do for you guaranteed. I don't know how Gus Edwards is in these areas. Le'Veon Bell can pass protect for you as, as a running back so he can help keep Lamar clean. And, of course, he can catch the football, right? So if you have him in there on third downs, I think that's a phenomenal role for him. And I think right now you could probably get Le'Veon Bell for – two million bucks, you know, somewhere in, in, I mean, a pretty cheap price, right? So it's not a super expensive, um, you know, replacement for J.K. Dobbins. And I could make the argument that Le'Veon Bell, when it's all said and done, in 2021, could have been 
70% of what JK or he could be 70% of what JK Dobbins would have been in terms of just a producer, maybe not a total of producer, but in terms of just like a player for, you know, a reasonable, again, one to $2 million price tag, maybe 3 million if they're feeling extra generous. But if I would have, if I'm, if I'm Baltimore, I'd rather have Le'Veon Bell than Todd Gurley. I'll tell you that much. And that's just because I think Le'Veon his style and just that patient style is not so much reliant on explosiveness, right? So if you're, you know, a team like the Jets that had nothing in the way of an offensive line or skill players and you wanted to have Le'Veon Bell be the guy in that backfield, that was never going to work. But what Le'Veon Bell can be is a great asset to an already good offense with a good offensive line, good quarterback play. I mean, they have pretty good skill players. I would say at Mark Andrews and all the receivers they have, they're you know, et cetera, in Baltimore. So I think that Le'Veon Bell would be a nice contributor in Baltimore. It's just my take on it. And that's who I'd sign if I were them. Okay. DeAndre Swift has been dealing with uh, a bit of a groin injury, I believe. It's kind of lingering all offseason long. And I think that I just want to touch on this real quick. I'm, st- I'm not going to say I'm super concerned about it, but what I will say is if you draft DeAndre Swift, because what if this thing lingers on for the first two or three weeks of the season, which hopefully it doesn't, but it might. If you draft him, I would just say secure. make sure you secure Jamal Williams, right? Get Jamal Williams in there. Why? Because Jamal Williams is a guy that has proven to be a trustworthy player in the NFL, right? He was that way in Green Bay. I mean, they drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. They still couldn't get Jamal Williams off the field, right? So that tells you that he is just a guy that does the little things well and the coaching staff likes him. So in the event that DeAndre Swift misses two, three, four games, whatever it might be, hopefully none, but I think Jamal Williams is a guy that's going to be in there. He's going to be the primary replacement in that event. So I think that if you take Swift, you're going to have to spend a third-round pick on him unless you're extremely lucky and you get him in the fourth. But if you do that, I think getting Jamal Williams in the 10th or 11th round is a, is a smart move, right? Because if Swift misses time, I think Jamal Williams can be, at the very minimum, a high-end flex play. I think he can be a legit flex option. So if you invest the third rounder, it might be a good – and Swift, it might be a good idea to go ahead and secure that with a 10th or 11th rounder. I'm always a big fan of, you know, even with Dalvin Cook, if I spend a first-round pick on Dalvin Cook, which is obviously where you'd have to take him, I'm also a fan of grabbing a guy like Alexander Madison, you know, in the in the late rounds too. So this is my take, and you could probably get Madison even later, so it's even more – worth it. And I do think he is the handcuffed own in uh, Minnesota. Next thing I want to talk about is Cam Newton or Mac Jones going to be the starter in New England. So this one is is interesting, right? Because if you look at it just on the surface, you say, well, Mac has played better than Cam in the preseason. That would be, you know, mostly true. I think Cam in the second preseason game obviously was awesome. And then he had the whole, I don't know what happened with like the test he missed or whatever. I don't know what happened, but he did something to where they suspended them for five days or uh, you know, so to speak, from a physical standpoint, it wasn't really a suspension, but they he had to stay away from the facility for five days. And then in the third preseason game, he comes out and doesn't really do much, and Mac Jones plays well again. So there's two things to this, right? Yes, Mac has looked better, but who has Mac done that against, right? It's, just, it's the same argument you've got in Chicago where Fields, you know, his high-end plays especially have looked better than Andy Dalton for sure this preseason – but who Dalton's going against the starters, Fields going against second, third string, maybe guys that aren't even going to be on rosters in the NFL, right? And whereas Dalton again going against first stringers, that's how it is for Cam and Mac Jones. Cam has started every game, therefore he's naturally going to play against the better competition. And you know, so that's that's the one thing, right? 
But there's another part to this, and this is just my kind of like my um, overall opinion on it. I would like to see Cam Newton start the season, and here's why. If Cam goes out there and let's just say Cam lights it up and plays at a super high level, well, then you just have Mac Jones able to sit behind a former NFL MVP and learn from him and, and to watch him sustain success or you know succeed in the NFL. You get to watch what he does every week. You get to watch why he did a certain thing when he did a certain thing in terms of checks and things like that. And you get to – that's just nothing but good news for Mac Jones, who, by the way, only started one season in college for the most part. He started a couple games – um, the previous year when Tua went out. But for the most part, he's a one-year starter, right? So that's not a bad thing. Number two, if Mac Jones goes out there, right, you say, hey, Mac's our starter. He comes out week one, and he he plays underwhelming, right? Then you're sitting there with Cam Newton on the sideline. All the other players are starting to look at Cam Newton. It becomes a – there becomes a tension that, that exists on the sidelines and, and within just kind of the camaraderie of the locker room where it's like, hey, Bill – and obviously no one's going to say anything to Bill Belichick. So therefore it may, it may work out fine in that regard, but I could just see and feel a tension that would be brewing like, Hey, let's go ahead and get the veteran in there. The rookie may not be quite ready yet, whatever. So I think that it just from that standpoint alone, it makes sense because the, the reverse of that would be Cam Newton goes out there, doesn't play that well. And then in week two, three, four, you say, Hey, we're, we're going with Mac Jones. Right. Maybe Mac Jones comes in for cleanup duty in one game and he, pl he plays all right. So it kind of gets his confidence boosted up and then he goes in there and starts the following week. And it's um, kind of that boast of energy for the uh, for the offense. And, you know, just kind of that fresh face. Everybody likes to back up quarterback more. All that kind of energy would be surrounding Mac. And I think for that reason, it makes sense. Right. Because what do you have to lose? Who has got the higher floor in 2021? Cam Newton does, for sure, right, in terms of actual floor. And I know Mac has looked very great in the preseason so far. But floor-wise, it's Cam Newton. Ceiling-wise, I'd probably also say it's Cam Newton. I mean, I, like if you talk about true ceiling, Cam could be a 30-plus touchdown scorer this season for you. So rushing and passing combined. I mean, that's – Cam's thrown – I mean, he scored 50 touchdowns in that season. He won the MVP. So from all those reasons, it's like – Cam seems like the logical thing to do, especially when you look at how the Patriots are designed. They are designed, they are built to run you over. If you get Cam Newton in there on a one-year deal when you know Mac is the future, so you don't really have to worry about preserving Cam because you're not all that worried about what the alternative in terms of backup quarterback coming in is Mac Jones. So from that standpoint, it's like, let's go out there and let's you know, run Cam 10, 15 times a game. Let's, let's run our running backs another 20 plus times a game. Let's run 40 times a game in, the, in this Patriots offense with our big, powerful offensive line. Let's run people over. And then at that point, if Mac has to come in in week four, five, six, whatever, you'll see an offense in New England that has established its identity as a powerhouse of a run team. And then Mac has the benefit of then coming in there and working off that play action, hard play action, makes his role even easier. So for those reasons, man, I think that it just makes more sense to start Cam Newton. But as I said in my post yesterday, I, I wouldn't blame Bill Belichick for either decision. I understand starting Mac Jones just based on the principle that, hey, I think Mac's better right now. It could be true. It absolutely could be true. And um, I think it's honestly, I, it, as much as I was on Cam, the Cam side of this to begin preseason, I am not going to attach myself to any preconceived notions. Mac Jones, to me, if I had to make a bet on which player will play better in 2021 right now, it'd be Mac Jones. 
it, it really would be. I think he's looked very good. He's doing some things I didn't really like the deep downfield throws that he's made that have been dropped for the most part or or just barely missed out, I should say, um, have surprised me. OK, so that's that's a good thing in terms of like his just natural physical talent. And he may be able to make those deep throws right now at a more successful rate than Cam Newton can. So Mac Jones, I think, will be the starter at some point in 2021, whereas I didn't think that earlier on. I still think Cam Newton can play in this league. I think he'd be a starter somewhere. But, you know, it's just kind of a tough spot. Like if Mac Jones happened to fall all the way to what was it, 15th overall in the draft. And Bill Belichick's like, well, I have to take him, you know, so that just made sense. And um, and yeah, but anyways, I'd start Cam, but that's just me. Next thing I want to talk about is, OK, so there's New York Jets, right? There's been all this talk in terms of their running back room of Michael Carter, the rookie, right? He's been going as early as like the seventh round in some drafts. And then you see he just kind of doesn't look fantastic in the preseason. Tevin Coleman is a guy that to me, <clears throat> we may be undervaluing. Tevin Coleman knows exactly what to do in this offense. He's played for it the last couple of years in San Francisco. He's also played for it in Atlanta when Shanahan was there in Atlanta. So you're talking about a guy that's a veteran player that still has some, some juice left in the tank, and we haven't been talking about him almost at all. I think at this point, and I loved Michael Carter. Don't get me wrong, and I'm, and I'm not going to jump ship on Michael Carter because of a slow preseason. But I think that it's likely that Tevin Coleman – is the guy early on, right? Meaning weeks, the first quarter of the season. I think that it's it's likely. So if you have a team, right, where you, let's just say you draft a few other rookie running backs and you may not feel comfortable starting them early or for any reason, right? You might, let's say you draft DeAndre Swift and you, don't want, you can't start him because he doesn't play week one. Tevin Coleman is a guy that I kind of feel comfortable starting in the early weeks. And I think that, you know, that is one reason to go ahead and get him on your roster if you draft if you do draft michael carter you love michael carter you draft him in the seventh eighth ninth round whatever it might be i think you also should draft tevin coleman and i think you could do so fairly late you know 11th 12th round i think you could probably get him almost as late as you want but i would go ahead and just spend my 11th round pick on him or something like that just a 10th round pick whatever just make sure you get him because the reality is the same same thing with what i said about jamal williams if you draft DeAndre Swift in the third round, if you draft, as I mentioned, Dalvin Cook in the first round, if you draft Michael Carter in the seventh round, eighth round, tenth round, then Tevin Coleman, uh, Jamal Williams, Alexander Madison, those guys mean more to you. So go ahead and just take them a round or two earlier than whatever their ADP is and just make sure you get them. So I think, um, and as I said, I'm not jumping ship on Michael Carter, but I think that early on, Tevin, Tevin Coleman will have some value. Uh, Jamar Chase, let's talk about him for a second. I think that and I mentioned this yesterday, Tyler Boyd will outscore Jamar Chase. And this has nothing to do with Jamar Chase dropping a pass in preseason, right? It just has a lot more to do with the fact that Tyler Boyd is an established veteran that the team is pretty highly invested into. I mean, they're paying him like $12 million a year, $10 million a year, something in that range, right? They, 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 uh, and he's also got that slot receiver role in the Rams offense, the McVay offense, right, for the most part. So I think those are all things that are going – for Tyler Boyd. I think he's going to outscore Jamar Chase. I really do. I just think that Jamar Chase is a little rusty, right? And that's to be expected for a guy that by week one will have not played football for two calendar years, right? So that makes sense. And I think that Tyler Boyd is 
probably just a little bit better right now. And especially from the standpoint of just being a little bit more reliable. I think just to be clear, I think T Higgins is the number one there. Tyler Boyd from a production standpoint will be the number two. And then Jamar Chase will probably flash early, come on a little bit stronger down the stretch as of late. He may be a guy that's on waivers in week six. I'm just, I believe that, but I, if he is, I'll be telling you to pick him up because I think he'll finish the season strong. So, um, but yeah, I think Tyler Boyd just, I think he's going to outscore Jamar Chase. Same thing, similar to what I said, I talked about Michael Carter in New York, right? Well, I think we may be in a similar situation with Trey Sermon in San Francisco. I love Trey Sermon. I love him. Okay. I think he's going to be a great fit and a good player for a long time in San Francisco, or at least for as long as a running back can be. But I also think, and I've been watching Raheem Mostert's ADP kind of slowly but surely trending downward. Now I'm all of a sudden kind of saying, hey, in some apps, depending on what app you're drafting in or whatever, they have Trey Sermon going before Raheem Mostert now. So that's now we're changing the conversation. We've moved the goalpost so much now that we're changing the whole conversation. If you're talking about the same price, I'm taking Raheem Mostert because I think that especially depending on how my roster is constructed, if I need a guy to play early, I'm taking Mostert. I'd like to also have Sermon, or I'd like to have Sermon on my team, I should say. But I think that it's likely that Raheem Mostert is the 55, 60%, maybe even more than that, uh, work hold guy early and uh, workhorse guy early, I should say. And so from that standpoint, I think that, you know, it makes, if they're the same price, I, I lean towards the guy early. And I also think that, um, with Sermon, there's a certain amount of risk that exists that does not exist with Mostert because Mostert's going to play. You know, it's almost inconceivable to me to think that he's not going to play at all, right? Like to think that it's Trey Sermon is the complete workhorse right away. I think that's unrealistic. I think that right now you could also make the argument that Mostert is probably a little bit better than Sermon right now especially with his understanding of the offense and just his veteran savvy and things like that. And he's an explosive guy, right? So he may have more, at least on a play to play basis, more upside. So I think that if they're the same price, I was totally out on Mostert when his ADP was the fourth round. If it's in the seventh or eighth round now, I think the hype has gotten out of control with the rookie and Trey Sermon. And I think that Mostert is uh, kind of the guy I'm leaning towards. So um, okay, so the Lions did something interesting, guys. They cut Rashad Perriman, right? And they cut him even though they guaranteed $2 million of his $2.5 million salary. Why would you do that, right? Why would you? Well, here, let me explain why. They did that because they really wanted to keep their young guys in the mold of Quintus Cephas, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Khalif Raymond. They wanted to keep those guys, and you got to get your roster down to 53, or it's not that easy. But they wanted to keep those guys so badly that they were willing to basically just eat $2 million. You know, they said, whatever. You know, we basically guaranteed Perriman's full contract, and we don't care because we want, we're, we're going to be, it's going to be difficult for us to get our roster down to 53 because it always is for every team. And we like these young guys. We like Quintez Cephas. We like, St. Brown and we like Khalif Raymond. So um, my personal favorite of the of that bunch is Quintez Cephas. I think that he has an opportunity to be a really consistent point scorer. And he's a guy that's probably more along the lines of a deep sleeper right now. But I think that he's, you know, I also like Amon Ross St. Brown and I like 
Khalif Raymond is kind of a situational guy, but I think that um, if I had to bet on it, I would say Cephas in terms of their wide receivers will be their number two. I was, you know, Tyrell Williams at one, Cephas at two, St. Brown at three, and uh, Khalif Raymond at four, I guess. So, yeah, I think that that's all interesting to me and um, the lines that they were willing to do that. And I think that that definitely tells you, uh, again, how confident they are in those young guys. The last thing I want to discuss, guys, is the New York Jets. They make a trade with uh, – they replace a Lawson with a Lawson, right? They replace a Carl Lawson, the big time in terms of financial – money pass rusher they signed this offseason from the Bengals and they replaced him via trade with Shaq Lawson a guy that was just traded to the Houston Texans so to me this means two things on on the Texan side of it it means that they must have some younger edge rushers or guys that play the same role as Lawson would have in that defense that they like more you know similar to what I just said about the Lions and why they would cut Rashad Perriman, despite having given him a certain amount of money, you know, I think that in this case, they obviously like some other guys. Also, the Texans, when they traded for Shaq Lawson, they didn't have any, his contract was not, they didn't have any guaranteed money to carry over with that, right? It was already dealt with from the Dolphins. And so in terms of like, maybe it was a cap saving move, they they had to say, hey, we need to create, I think his base salary was somewhere around 10 million bucks. We need to, you know, that's an easy $10 million savings right off the bat. And God knows the Texans need some more draft capital. So I don't even know what they got in that trade. But, you know, from that standpoint, it certainly makes sense for them to just say, like, we're not really a roster that's competing right now. We got some uh, some trade value for it in terms of draft capital. So let's go ahead and do that. On the uh, on the other side of the coin, the Jets, it, it tells me that Robert Salah super values just like he had in San Francisco, that pass rush, right? He wants to have guys that can come at you in waves. He wants to have a guy that can disrupt from the interior. And Quentin Williams has got that. Quentin Williams, say he's got, um, you know, they, they have some talent there. And I think that speed rusher, when you have the combination of, and this is why I think the Lawson trade is important, when you lose Carl Lawson, that's a guy that can get up the field and around the arc, right, as a pass rusher. When you have Quentin Williams, a guy that can beat, whoever in the middle of that defensive line that creates pressure right in the quarterback's face. If you have both, right, a guy that can run the arc and a guy that can get up in your face, there's nowhere for the quarterback to step up. And that combination in that particular defensive scheme is very important, right? So I think that is what it shows me that the Jets have gone for there and in, in what they, in what Robert Sala is prioritizing is having that combination and I love that I think that's gonna and I think it's very important because this Jets defense has a chance to be really good and um I think that quietly right I mean I don't, I don't really think anybody's really talking about that but they were decent last year and what I've learned is the same thing can be said about the New York Giants from last year and the Washington football team from last year when you have a defense that's solid on with an offense that was awful that right there should tell you, and that's an, to me, that's an indicator of a defense that could take the step to the next level, right? And I think with the upgraded at the scheme, they're not going to have zero blitz running with, you know, in, in Hail Mary situations like they had last year going on in the Jets uh, defense. So I think this year with a much improved scheme, one that's going to be probably more disciplined, one that Bryce Hall, the corner fits very well. Ashton Davis should be a good player there. You know, all those things, I think, may, they bode well for the Jets. I think that defense with an improved offense especially could be a pretty damn good defense. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, that's it, guys. That's it for this podcast. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm not quite sure whether I'll be back tomorrow. I think I'm going to try and do a mock draft with a different app because to just kind of change it up a little bit because 
I did a mock draft. I mean, I did a draft yesterday for my friend's girlfriend, uh, and she uses Yahoo, and I've been all on Sleeper lately. And so when I used the Yahoo app, it just threw me off because like their player rankings are so much different than sleepers. So when you you see guys that are available way later and then you see the opposite as well, guys that that would have been gone or, you know, later that are going earlier, things like that. So it, I'm going to try and switch it up and see how that mock draft comes about in terms of, uh, you know, using Yahoo or maybe even ESPN or whatever. But yeah. So anyways, I will see you tomorrow. Peace.